0: Your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You ever seen one of those scenes in in movies? Um, I was trying for the life of me to remember the name of the movie. Maybe someone will help me. I could not remember it. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is a Scorsese film. DiCaprio, I guess, DiCaprio's in every Scorsese film now, right? And uh, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, Gangs of New York, man. All right, so there's a scene in Gangs in New York where the camera is cutting between the two tribes, two groups. And they're both praying as they're about to go, these two gangs, who are about to go into battle. And they're praying. One's Protestant, one's Catholic. So they're praying their appropriate prayers. And they're both praying for victory. And I remember the first time I watched that movie thinking how many times throughout history that sort of thing has happened going one, I wonder who they're praying to. One, I wonder if anyone's listening, and I wonder if God's just sitting up there, guys, 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 both of you, wrong prayer. I'm going to give you over. <laughs> There's actually a verse about that. Like, who are people praying to? You, you go to Jerusalem, and you would see three different majority faiths. You'd see Muslim brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters, and Jewish brothers and sisters. You see them all fervently praying to God. Who are they talking to? These religions, many have conflicts with one another. And they all have this like, same space that they're crying out to God. It doesn't seem to go away. One of the most fascinating things uh, when I think about prayer is, uh, is the way it shows up in politics. Like our country is so schizophrenic when it comes to religion and faith. To this day, you'd think this would be like a bygone thing. But to this day, we still ask about people's faith when they're running for office. And then whoever becomes the president has to go and, well, I guess they probably don't have to. There's nothing in the Constitution that says they do, but every president has. So I don't know if you want to be the one woman or man who's like, nope, not me, to pray at the national prayer breakfast. And so I I pulled some excerpts, because I just wanted to see what presidents would say. Ronald Reagan, I said, we all in this room, I know, and we, we know many millions more elsewhere, turn to God in prayer. Believe in the power of the spirit of prayer. Yet so often we direct our prayers to those problems that are immediate to us, knowing that he has promised his help to us when we turn to him. And yet in a world today that is so torn with strife, where the divisions seem to be increasing, not people coming together within countries, divisions within the people themselves and all, I wonder if we have ever thought about the greatest tool that we have, the power of prayer. Uh, Barack Obama, in talking about prayer, uh, I just want to hit a Republican and a Democrat, I do Okay with Reagan and Obama, I feel all right? Don't worry, I'm not going to quote Trump. <laughs> I don't think he's actually even done that. Mark read in a letter to Billy Graham, um, sorry, Mark uh, um, Pryor, who is a, a uh, congressman, senator, he read a letter from Billy Graham, uh, this is Billy Graham talking, or um, Obama talking, and he says, it took me back to one of the greatest honors of my life. Obama says, I was visiting Reverend Graham at his retreat center in uh, North Carolina, We had a wonderful conversation. Before I left, Reverend Graham started praying for me. As he had prayed for so many presidents before me. And when he finished praying, I felt the urge to pray for him. I didn't really know what to say. What do you pray for when it comes to a man who has prayed for so many? But like that verse in Romans says, the Holy Spirit interceded when I didn't quite know what to say. Obama says, and so I prayed briefly, but I prayed from the heart. I don't have the intellectual capacity or the lung capacity of some of my great preacher friends here to pray for a long time. But I prayed, and we ended with an embrace and a warm goodbye. And I thought about that moment all the way down the mountain, and I've thought about it many days since, because I thought about my own spiritual journey, growing up in a household that wasn't religious, going through my own period of doubt and confusion, finding Jesus when I wasn't even looking for him so many years ago, possessing so many shortcomings that have been overcome by the grace of God. And the fact that I would be on the top of a mountain saying a prayer for Billy Graham, a man whose faith has changed the world and that has sustained him through triumphs and tragedies and movements and milestones, that simple fact humbled me to my core. I have fallen on my knees with great regularity since that moment, asking God for guidance. It goes on. Prayer is this universal and enduring reality through all of human experience. According to a Gallup poll, more Americans will pray this week than will exercise, drive a car, have sex, or go to work. It's a lot. Nine out of ten people pray regularly, and three out of four claim to pray every day. And yet, if we're honest about prayer, it's still somewhat of a mystery. Uh, A doctoral student uh, at Princeton University asked once, what uh, is left? He's talking to Einstein, one of of Albert Einstein's graduate students. And uh, he asks him, he says, what is left for original dissertation research? Like, what's left to really explore and study, Albert? I like to think he just called him Al. And Einstein replies, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Why do we pray? I want to, like, go right back to ground zero. Why do we pray? A couple of observations. I think we pray... I think this many people pray, even people who claim almost no religious faith in some sense. We pray because we feel the need to point our gratitude somewhere. It's like, thank you. Anne Lamont says there's basically three prayers. Thanks, help, and wow. But why do we feel compelled to pray any of these? Like, like sometimes you're just praying and you're looking around you're like, who did this? I always get that feeling when I go to Beaver Tail in Jamestown. You're like looking out at the rocks and the sun's going down. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone been to Beaver Tail? I just like went there and my mind had to pause. And it's just like, thank you. Like just somebody. You almost look around like can we, can you, somebody look at this. Like are you looking at this the the same way I'm looking at this? We're amazing. We have this amazed feeling. Uh, Even non-religious people say things like, the universe did this. You're just trying to thank someone or something outside of yourselves for the things that you're experiencing. Uh, A friend of mine this week was telling me a story that her atheist grandfather at Thanksgiving, um, I guess a staunch atheist, would sort of raise his cup to sort of cheers at the beginning of the meal and he would begin to list off a bunch of really just great things that he was thankful for. And that he would always begin with, to whom it may concern. Right, like gathered around the family, but saying like, hey, to whom it may concern. There's this sense that we have to point our gratitude somewhere. too. I think we pray because we're angry. We want to assign blame as the reason that things are the way that they are. Like, why did this happen? Why is this happening this way? Who would let this happen? This is when um, very atheistic explanations don't work well, or they at least don't, I would say this, um, they don't flesh out very like well in real life, because it's not like, anybody who has this, like, what is wrong with the world? To be an atheist and to say that is, is a pretty tough pill to swallow. It's like you're on, like, you're in the universe, you're a fly that came out of nowhere, it's all gonna burn up and return to nothing, and death is just, like, part of the cycle. Just chill out. Like, why are you pointing your anger anywhere? Why is the world, like, it's just because it's like this, man. Look at nature. It's violent. Get into it. I'm dead serious. Like, if you follow the logical conclusion out, what, why just, who's fault? You yell. You yell. There seems to be a way that is meant to be. Like, there's a way that things are supposed to be, and this isn't it. That's why whenever at, at church we talk about, this feels like a very antiquated phrase, but it's very biblical, so we talk about it all the time, is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus spent almost all his, like, all his time talking about. He talks about the kingdom of God more than any other subject. Begins his ministry with, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, like, the way, again, the way of heaven The way things are supposed to be. The dome where God is king. Where everything's in its right place. Week after week, we bring this into liturgy and songs and the sermon. Why? Because literally it's what we're doing. Demonstrating and announcing the good news that Jesus is king. We are saved by grace through faith and he is making all things new and we get to join him in that amazing adventure. That's the story that we're a part of. That's the gospel in its kind of fullness. I say that and that there's something that we're all kind of longing for. We want to see things put back together. There's a primal longing that is the kingdom of God. In fact, many point out that the, the resurgency and very vocal justice work happening in a new generation is a lot of people who want the kingdom without the king. They want to see things put back together, but not in the way that God says it needs to be put back together. But that, my friends, is a different sermon. We pray because we're angry and things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We often try to use prayer as an attempt even to assign blame. How could you? How could this happen? We point it. Lastly, I think it has a lot to do with help. We pray because we need help. We're vulnerable people. Even if it's like a Hail Mary. Anyone just throwing up a Hail Mary prayer? Anyone in this room, right? You don't have to raise your hand. You may feel awkward in church. But like, yeah, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Not sure what to make of all this. But I've definitely thrown those Hail Mary. That's a football uh, term, by the way. Anyone know it? Anyone not? I would love to know this. Quick poll, for real. How many of you do not know what a Hail Mary is? No shame. Like, literally don't know. Awesome. Hail Mary. There's no time on the clock to make any kind of play. Everybody on the field goes all the way down to the other touchdown, as far away as it is. And the quarterback just lobs the ball in the air. And maybe his team will catch it and win the game. You Google best Hail Mary moments when you get home. You'll have some nice, nice watching. Anyway, I stood up for that part. Usually I stand up when I really start talking about Jesus. I I stood up for the Hail Mary part. I think that says something about me. I'm going to go back down. We just like, help, somebody help. It's like just throwing the ball in the air and closing your eyes. Maybe if God is up there, maybe he'll do something this time. Help It's the primal cry that rises up from the human heart. We pray it because we're vulnerable. If you're there, if anybody's up there. So, all of this is not surprising. Um... Or sorry, it's not surprising that living in our world, in our modern world, that scientists have taken up Einstein's call and tried to find out about prayer. There's actually a a field of study of this called neurotheology, which basically tries to map and understand what's happening in the brain when people pray. This isn't just like a Christian thing. Like people trying to make sense of this. There's been a study uh, where they got Pentecostals to speak in tongues and they did brain scans to see what was happening. So they're like speaking in tongues and they're like wired up. They go to church and they're like, I just imagine someone in the back while everyone's speaking in tongues. And they're like, mm, interesting. Like they're scanning what's going on. Or Buddhist monks when they've meditated. Like what's happening in their mind when they're meditating? Or evangelicals when they're praying for help and asking for God for comfort. Uh, Harvard Medical School cardiovascular specialist Dr. Herbert Benson discovered what he calls the relaxation response. He says, it's released when people enter into a state of prayer. It's a physical, psychological state that shifts people out of their fight or flight or freeze state into a place of rest and ease. Our default is fight or flight, and so the pressure shifts our mind and touches our physiology that makes our bodies interact in a different way. Active prayer has actually shown to increase helpful neurotransmitters, which release dopamine, which bring us to a state of relaxation, focus, motivation, and general well-being. Interesting. When we pray, there's actually something physical and physiological happening. And one very technical study done by uh, someone named Lisa Miller, who's the professor and director of clinical psychology uh, at Columbia University, Uh, she conducted a study of people who are at high risk for depression using an MRI, and she found that those who prayed regularly... Tended to have a thicker cerebral cortex, which has been associated with less depression and anxiety. Another study showed that urban children with asthma cope better when they pray. Prayers are also correlated to less heart attacks and quicker recovery from heart surgery. Interesting. So, scientists are saying something's happening in our brain. But when it comes to church, it's been my experience that most people have a very strained experience with prayer. My comes then to the church and life inside the church, I've observed as a pastor for many years a couple of trends when it comes to how people utilize prayer. The first way, I would sort of call like a passive-aggressive prayer correction. It's like prayers are going up in a group and people are like crying out to God and maybe it's something that like, you know, is, is wrong like, theologically wrong, and they sort of, like, block the shot, almost like the prayers going up to heaven. You ever experienced this in a group? Like, God, just thank you that you love everybody, and you're so inclusive, and you're just, you're just so great, and would you just, like, thank you for, thank you for just rescuing everybody. And then someone else is like, Lord, thank you, too. Lord, I pray that, you know, it doesn't say, God, that your love, love, love. It says you're holy, 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 and that your wrath is real. Lord, you know, it's like a, anyone know what I'm talking about? This is like in, inside baseball right now with christians there's like there's like passive aggressive like movement going on oh i see that you asked for that but i know that god really doesn't do that in my theological tradition so i'm gonna pray for something else it's rarely like repenting too there's like a second thing i think that tends to happen where we're just sort of like praying for things to go away it's never sort of accepting you know that that happened to me because i did something stupid or accepting personal responsibility Or you say things that you'd never say to another person directly, but you say them through prayer. Anyone ever had that happen? You're praying with a group of people, and you're like, I think they're talking about me. You know you can talk to me. I'm right here. Or my favorite, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, is the sermon prayer. Anyone know that one? It's like you get up to pray. Like I would get up to pray, and you're like... I can't think of a good example of this right now. But it, it, it's basically like I just start talking to you, but I'm like under the guise of talking to God so I can say things somehow differently. My, my theologically more progressive friends, uh, you know, it, it's uh, oftentimes prayer is seen as just like an annoying thing you have to do to consider yourself a Christian before you get to the, you know, real work of doing the stuff that conservative people won't really touch and God's doing a bad job of in the world. Uh, just being honest. You know, it's like, it's like the whole gambit. Uh, there's these sort of funny nuances. I think in our community, what I find is a lot of people, um, there's, there's a fear of praying with faith. There's a fear of, like, praying with greater faith. I know this isn't everyone, and it's something, actually, one of the reasons we're doing this series. It's been a shift in our community. But it's like we, we are too, almost sometimes, I notice in our community, um, we want to make excuses for God. It's like, God, I know that you might not really want to do this. I know I'm supposed to pray your will be done, but not mine. I'm not going to be too aggressive with you. I don't really know if you do that anymore. I definitely don't want to be let down. My faith is relatively fragile anyway. So, you know, Lord, just kind of do what you want to do. And uh, I love you, and you're great, and thank you. And it's like, like there's, it's so vague. There's actually nothing in there for God to even answer. Do you sense that a little bit maybe in pockets of our community? It's not everybody. A lot of people inside the church um, honestly have had really strange experiences with the prayer. I rarely hear this. I am so good at prayer. I, I hear like I have a passion for the poor. I have a passion to get involved and help like Sunday morning go well. I have a passion to help start a new ministry. I have a passion to lead a home group or or, or a, a, a passion to 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 host a meal and to shepherd to care for people. Very rarely do I ever meet somebody who's like, man, just put me in, coach. Put me in that prayer corner. I'm ready. I am ready. I am. I, am, I, I get up every morning an hour early just to seek God. Like I don't even get, you know, I'm sort of mixed. I'm like half thankful for this and half not. I, I've, I've never gotten, for those of you who grown up in a more conservative, maybe Pentecostal environment, very rarely folks who come up and be like, God told me that, that our church is supposed to do this. Or God told me. I don't get many God told me's. And you'd think that would be like a really good thing, but I actually kind of wish there was more. That's not an invitation for all the crazies to come out. But I I do. I do wish there's a a humble, I have this sense that God's leading our community in this way. Why do you have that sense? Oh, because I've been praying all week for you or for our community or for the person sitting next to me. I have a friend who I actually want to stop and quote in case you're listening out there, John, who I, I owe uh, just some great bits of this message actually today to a pastor named John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York City. And he, uh, through both personal interaction and just by extension of being able to peer into his ministry, has taught me how to pray. He's one of the very few people in my life who I go, that man knows how to pray. He has gotten up every morning, whether he's on vacation or home, and gotten up early to seek the Lord. First thing, taught me how you can be intellectually dialed in, have theology that cannot be dismissed with a sort of spiritual power that can't be ignored. That rich theology and sharp intellect are not in contrast with bold, the boldness of seeking God, both in contemplative practices and in intercession. Most people I know have all these questions about prayer. For a lot of people, it just doesn't seem to be the thing that's very easy. And so when you come across a verse that we just read from the book of Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. A lot of people say, well, I just don't know about that. If you're a fairly new Christian, that's one of the first verses you usually get thrown at you. And I think a lot of us, we go, I just don't know about that. Why is prayer so hard? I think the reason that we struggle so much with prayer is that we're not brutally honest about what's going on inside of us when it comes to prayer. Why is prayer so hard? I think one of the ways why we're not brutally honest, just an example of this, this is what I mean. Those of you who have been married, um, I heard a, a story of somebody who been married for a long, a long time. This is actually John's story. He, he'd been married for a long time. It was about eight or nine years into his marriage. And he just kind of had this, like, come to Jesus moment, quite literally, with his wife. Like, look, we, we're doing fine. We're okay. But if we're really going to go deep, if we're really going to be a couple that prays together and knows each other and richly enjoys one another, even as things get hard with the kids and moving and job and life gets busy, we need to actually do, like, the hard work. Some people have a, first, a hard first year, but some folks it doesn't come till like year five or six where you, you either have enough coping mechanisms and you love each other enough and you're both conflict avoidant enough that you can kind of skate through. But we all know couples where you look at them and they, like, they go deep. Not just in their love for one another, but in their service together and their prayer life. And they just realized they had a lot of stuff to get to, to be honest about how they related to one another and what was broken. Uh, I, I think it's, I mean it's, it was hard work the way he describes it. I think our relationship with God is similar. We have this initial, oh my gosh, I've been saved by grace, and God is so good, and this initial wow, and we either try to keep that treadmill going by saying things like, the best is yet to come, all the time. Like, it's just going to be great, and it's all wow, and it's all celebration, and it's all good, and don't really talk about anything too, too intense, and let's we'll just skate through, and if I'm of a certain place in life, then I can just kind of keep going at that tick. But I think a lot of us, it's after that initial wow that we have to go, am I really going to walk with God in intimacy? Or am I just going kind of to be a good moral Christian? Is Jesus going to be kind of just my lifestyle enhancement? Or am I going to be a person marked by intimacy with Jesus? It's almost like another come to Jesus moment. It's like another call to faith. Has anyone experienced that? Am I the only one? Like a moment where you were like, this is this is beautiful and good, and I believe this, but there was this click of, like, I'm, I'm, I, I need to go in. I'm going in. Anyone have that moment? I think if we do this as a church community this summer, as we wrap this summer up years from now, however painful it might be to address some of these things I'm going to bring up in a moment, I think we can look back and go, my relationship with God is so much better and deeper because of this. Don't be anxious about anything, the verse says. But for a lot of people, prayer is the thing that brings them anxiety. Or or I should say this, they have anxieties about prayer. Maybe prayer doesn't bring you anxiety, but you actually have specific anxieties about prayer. I think all of us have to have an an honest confrontation with our heart about prayer. Three anxieties I want to mention. Three anxieties. They're up on the screen here. First one is is outcome anxiety. Outcome anxiety. Does prayer really work? Like when is anything going to happen? I think a lot of people uh, have not developed their theology and understanding of sometimes prayers are not answered. We have these primal fears about like modern science and go, look, everything that we used to call a miracle we now just know is science. Now we have the technology to make sense of it. Farmers used to just cry out, cry out, cry out, and really it was just a weather pattern that made the plants actually grow. Or instead of like praying for rain, we just dig wells and irrigate properly and develop Monsanto seeds that are more robust and have larger yields, and, and we don't I think to, to pray. We go to the emergency room, we hurt ourselves, we, prayer becomes something of an afterthought. It's like, oh yeah, I guess we should sort of pray for this, but you know. I think we're worried about the outcomes because we think that most of what used to be answers to prayer is actually just science without language. Maybe another reason we're worried about outcome anxieties is because we actually don't talk to God very much. I think a second part of our outcome anxiety is that it's so much like we're talking, I don't know. It's like we're we're spending all our time talking to therapists and talking to peers, which, by the way, is a really good thing. Seeing a therapist and a counselor and talking to your friends is really good, very helpful. The tradition of spiritual direction, all this stuff, I'm not dogging it. But if all you're doing it is that, it can become a substitute and take the place of actually speaking directly to God. You never actually get to God directly. You just spend time talking to your therapist about things. You get together to pray with your friends and you spend 40 minutes Sharing prayer requests, and then you utter a couple of prayers back to God as if He wasn't listening to the prayer requests, and then we go home and we don't stop and listen. We're always just talking to someone about God and never talking to Him. This is something I had to repent of in my counseling appointments. People would get together and want to like advice, and I would sit there acting like an advice giver. I wasn't even a good therapist and a good counselor. I was just doling out advice. and Even when I was asking questions, it didn't lead into, hey, let's stop and pray and listen together. That's only something in the last year or two I've really started to do. The danger is we don't talk to God anymore and we just sit in a circle of friends and discuss him. And this is hard though, right? Because God can sometimes be silent. We could be pouring out our heart and we get nothing. I think with our outcome, anxiety is a disappointment that God will let us down. Like we really prayed with faith and God didn't do it. I cried out with all that I had, and God didn't do it. You don't get the job. You don't get the girl. The cancer doesn't disappear. The depression doesn't seem to go away. Like, we don't have the courage to say, God, that sucked. We don't have the courage to say, God, I'm, like, you're, you're, this is bad. Like, why is this happening? Asking God to do something and believing he will when we know he might not is crushing sometimes. I think that gives us anxiety. We have outcome. Anxiety about the outcomes. Two, um, motives. I think we have anxieties about our motives. And it looks something like this. Tell me if this resonates at all. I'm just one of those people uh, that, like, I'm just not one of those people who's going to be good at prayer. Uh, I just, honestly, I get it. I should be more still, but I just play too many games on my phone. Uh, You have no idea how many lustful thoughts. I had somebody tell me, uh, I probably shouldn't repeat that story. Never mind. Somebody told me a story about that, and it relates. Four, I have escapist thoughts. I can't pray. I'm, like, constantly, like, escaping my own mind. I definitely don't feel like I'm the person that God's going to bend history through prayer through. Like, I am not a candidate. For me, it's, it's in James. The prayers of a righteous person. Powerful. I, I, I struggle with that because I go, I am not righteous. Some of my reformed brothers and sisters, God bless you, try to go, well, no, no, no. What he's saying is Jesus, and he's the righteousness you need, so it doesn't matter. That's not what that verse is saying. I get it. And Jesus doesn't part his righteousness generally, but James is talking about, no, 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 no. When you are dialed in, you're being more faithful. When there's less sin in your life, there's something about your access and intimacy with the Father. It's just real. It isn't a merit or earning thing, but it is an access thing. I have anxiety about that as a pastor all the time, just to be honest with you whoa, my motives, my motives are jacked up. I try and pray and I can't concentrate. Maybe for some of you, I haven't thought, I I, I haven't thought well about whatever it is. I find the Bible confusing and boring and I go to church sometimes, but I'm just not a candidate. So it's cool you're talking about prayer, but if you're gonna talk about getting all excited in prayer or like praying all the time or anything that isn't outside of like quasi meditation and something I couldn't just do at yoga, I'm out. I'm not the kind of person who could do this. Let me say this, I get it. But can I tell you what's on the other side? One of the greatest joys of pastoring this church has seen disenfranchised evangelicals or burned out Christians or folks that have wanted nothing to do with the way of Jesus all of a sudden awaken to the power and movement of the Spirit. It has been one of my great joys to see that happen and see the life and intimacy that gets unlocked so, recap. First, the first one is stuff that God does. I have anxiety about the stuff that God does. Two, it's anxiety about who we are. And then three, I think we have, like, a God anxiety. Like, we don't believe in the God that we're praying to. You still with me? This is going to be a long talk, so stay with me. We don't believe in the God that we're actually praying to. How can I pray to a God that lets these things happen in the world? Or, or, or maybe it's something like, ever seen the movie Her?, A mate, Joaquin Phoenix, Scarlett Johansson, it's just, it's going to be hard to explain the subplot, but basically it's the lead character falls in love with his, like, iOS. Like, he falls in love with his computer, and if you don't think that's plausible, you should pick up a recent article in The New Yorker talking about joy of sex robots and my relationship with a robot. It's, It's coming, people. And so he's talking about this relationship, and as he's interacting with this, with this iOS, who like, gets to know him and learn him and know all the right things to say, and obviously you fall in love with something like that, because it's like falling in love with yourself. And then he has this moment of breakthrough, Joaquin Phoenix's character, as he's talking to the Scarlett Johansson voice, um, and he, he asks her it, he goes, how many he realizes this is an operating system and goes, how many people are you talking to right now? And she says, currently 613. And he just goes, like, I thought I was special. Like, he breaks down and the movie kind of turns on this note. I think it's how a lot of people view their relationship with God. It's like, how, how, like, how are my concerns worth Anything? Like, really? Like, you're talking to all these other people, or maybe you're this impartial force. or you, I believe you're there and you're loving, and I've experienced that, but there's no power or intimacy or somehow spirituality talks to me. I, I can't. This, I, don't, I have visions of God that aren't real. Your image of God more than anything else will determine the degree of honesty in your prayers. Will you trust me on that for a quick moment? Your vision of God and what God is like has a direct correlating relationship with how honest you will be in your prayers. John Frame says this, the quote's on the screen. To some, God is a benevolent grandfather figure or grandmother whose love excludes any kind of punishment or discipline. To some, God is a blessing dispenser, one who gives people everything they want as long as they pray with enough faith. The others god is a cosmic policeman who sits ready to pounce on anyone who makes some moral mistake then there are the gods of the amateur theologians which by the way is the time we're living in the ones who say yes i believe in god and immediately follow that with well my god is like this or my god would never do that but how do they know and why should any of us regard them as experts So often I have conversations with people who want to press into the things of God and as soon as God like says something in his word or I confront with an idea that doesn't jive with their worldview, they go, well, my God couldn't be like that. And we all know the old adage, right? If you have a God who agrees with everything you say, you are not worshiping a true God. You're worshiping a version of yourself. Who do you think you're praying to? Like literally right now, in the core of your being, what do you really think God is like? Do you think you can trust him? Is he actually good? Does he like you? What kind of mood is he in? Have you ever thought about these kinds of things? When you approach him in prayer, how does it feel when you step into his presence? How does he feel about you? Have you ever asked yourself this? I think so many people have a wrong vision of God. And so their approach to God is like, oh, look, God, I'm, kind of, I'm sorry to bother you. I know, you, I know you kind of hate people. I'm a sinner. Woe is me. I'm here. But, like, this is kind of important. But if you don't really want to answer, it's cool. Okay. Anyone? We have this anxiety because we don't understand who God is. In the Journal of Psychology and Religion, a study entitled Prayer, Attachment to God, and Symptoms of Anxiety-Related Disorders. <laughs> Amongst adults, they look at the data of 1,700 people and they found that those who prayed with a view of God that was loving and protective experienced dramatic reductions in anxiety related symptoms compared to those who prayed without the expectation of comfort and protection. So, even when, they're, like, even when they are studying psychology, they realize that our view of God has tremendous impact on our prayers and what happens pause for a minute. Do any of these anxieties resonate? Do you have any of these anxieties when it comes to prayer? Any of these things you go, yeah, maybe a little. Even just naming, it's hard for me to be honest about any of those things because I desperately don't want to believe some of the things that sit below the surface of my heart. Look, we're doing this series to end the summer Because we're like picking up Einstein's charge. (laughs) I want to find out about prayer and what that means for us in our community. I want to look back on these next four weeks as a church as our home groups are going to dive deep into this and to take what's already happening. Because let's be honest, this is happening in our community. There are pockets. There have been multiple home groups I've heard recently who just like had a study planned and ended up going into a time of prayer and praying for a couple hours. What's been happening in our Sunday evening heart gatherings is something that's happened and the temperature seems to be turned up. There's been something happening within our leadership, within our church, across our churches around this. And yet there's a sense of invitation of God, you need to teach all of us that we may walk in greater faith and trust of him and in prayer. How do we begin to even start to pray? How do we begin to do this? This prayer says don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about these outcomes but in prayer. Right? If these count as some of your anxieties, it's like even your anxieties about prayer bring to God in prayer. That's pretty good, right? Even your anxieties about prayer bring to God in prayer. For beginners, or for the people in this room who are masters and who have been spending the better part of their life seeking God, pray as you can. Not as you can't. Just pray as you can. This is the key for beginners and masters. Pray as you can. This is how you learn to pray. Just pray what you have. Pray what you got. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present them before God. There's this old story told by the ancients. Three Russian monks lived in a faraway island. Nobody ever went there, but one day... Their bishop decides to make a pastoral visit. When he arrived, he discovered that the monks didn't even know the Lord's Prayer. So he spent all of his time and energy teaching them the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name for the Protestants in the room. And then left, satisfied with his pastoral work. But when his ship had left the island and was back in the open sea, so he goes, he teaches these monks, he suddenly noticed the three hermits walking on water. In fact, they were running after the ship. When they reached it, they cried, Father, Father, we have forgotten the prayer that you taught us. The bishop, overwhelmed by what he was seeing and hearing, said, But dear brothers, how do you pray? They answered, Well, we just say, Dear God, there are three of us, and there's three of you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. (laughs) The bishop, awestruck by their simplicity, said, Go back to your land and be at peace. In other words, there's a difference between religion and relationship. There's a difference between proper form and proper prayers and actual prayerfulness. Prayer is a living relationship with God. Let's get mo- like uh, uh, biblical for a minute. Moses, if you look at all the prayers that he wrote, on one side you have, oh God, why have you given me these stiff-necked people to care for? That's one of Moses' prayers. God, why are there annoying people in my life? That's the modern day equivalent here, Andrew's translation. On the other side, Oh, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your weight and beauty and significance. The same person at different moments praying what he had. Paul says, in all circumstances, just pray what you got. Wherever you are, whatever's going on. David, the psalmist, leading the children of Israel in worship and in military might. He's got lines like, God, will you dash their heads against the rocks? I don't know if we need a modern-day translation for that. God, I would like these people dead. Just in case you ever think your prayers are irreverent or you're not allowed to pray that to God, just remember that line. Unless you're someone who regularly prays for people to die and then give me a text, shoot me a text, we'll talk. David also prays, oh Lord, to behold your beauty in the temple. Oh, to be on the rocks. At Jamestown, looking at the sunset and seeing how good you are. This can't be an accident. Sitting out in the water. Oh my gosh, Lord. Aren't you glad I said, gosh, praise you. (laughs) Here's my point. I'm getting tired now. Sermon's got to end. They just prayed what they had. You've got to pray with your God. If you learn to pray at all times in all situations, sometimes it's going to be messy and sometimes it's going to be broken. Because I don't know about you, sometimes that is what life is. And just for one more proof text, you have Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The God of the universe in flesh and blood saying, what's going on here? And on the other side, show me your glory again. Reveal your glory If you want to learn to pray, if you want to make any progress in prayer, you've got to be honest. You've got to be real. You've got to come 100. You've got to bring everything that you have. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Even your motives. Be real with your motives. This has been life-changing for me. Your pastor, for those of you who call me your pastor... (laughs) This has been life-changing for me. I hope this isn't too honest, but it's like when my motives I've realized are jacked up and about job and about work and about identity, I just pray them. I just pray them. God, my motives are jacked up. How do you deal with your motives? Your jacked up motives? Pray your jacked up motives. I know, I know. I went to seminary. This is critical. Be honest with what you've got. I can't pray down the front. I can't pray down the front. I can't go do that. Then don't do it. Pray as you can, not as you can't. I can't get up an hour early to pray. Cool. Don't get up an hour early then because you can't do it. What can you do? I can't do intercessory prayer. I don't even raise my hands in worship. I don't even know what to do with that. I can't do that. Good, don't do it. What can you do? If I were to sit down with every single one of you over a cup of coffee and went, hey, how can you pray? I could take maybe a minute and just write out something in my journal, like a dear God, I don't know if you're there. Or dear God, I know you're there. I know you love me, but I don't know what to pray. Dear God, I don't feel like I can come. Can you do that? Can you give 30 seconds? Awesome. Do that. Just just do that. Pray as you can. Do the two-minute thing. We have to be honest about what's in us, not what ought to be in us. Years of my prayer life were plagued by that reality. I'm praying what should be there. It's the Pharisee, if you know the Bible, is praying prayers like, yes, holy, is, like, holy are you, Lord, and thank you, Lord, that I am holy, and I am not made like one of those Gentiles. God can't answer that. That's not real. What does Jesus applaud, the kinds of prayers? Who is it? It's the tax collector. It's the tax collector. It's the broken person. It's the prostitute. Those are the prayers, and those are the, that's the faith that gets elevated in the scripture. God, have mercy on me. I am a wreck. Jesus is like, oh, yeah, sweet. Now you're getting it. Cool. Broken and contrite spirits. what I'm after, which is just a way of saying be freaking honest. Be, be brutally and rigorously honest. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray what's in you and not what ought to be in you. Practice what you got. Consistency, not intensity. A lot of people are like going for the lottery when they pray, right? A lot of people are like, not just like, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz lottery? I mean, like, Lord, would you give me right now? Would you strike down me with the gift of healing? And would you? like we're just going for all of it? I'm not saying that's all bad, but consistency over intensity. Right? That, that kind of interaction is the equivalent of doing something amazing for your spouse once a year. I guarantee your spouse would much rather daily faithfulness, love, words of encouragement, simple tasks of faithfulness versus like one trip to Aruba every year. You're laughing, but I, some of you are like, no, I'll take Aruba. <laughs> That's cool. You can be a jerk to me. Just get me to Aruba once a year. Pray, practice what you have Consistency, not intensity Just keep bringing it up, whatever it is Be honest about it No formation without repetition There's no formation without repetition No improvement without continuation It doesn't feel amazing Yeah, but I don't feel amazing all the time when I pray Big tip the only people that feel amazing all the time are those that are, like, strung out on a drug nonstop. I, I Forgive me if that's insensitive to say. I just, like, you don't feel amazing, and you don't have that tip of ecstasy. Like, it's not going to always feel amazing. Be honest. I, I don't know a time where I would ever say, oh, I didn't love my wife. I don't love my wife. It's, it's not always amazing. It's mostly amazing, honey, 99% of the time. It's just, like, just be faithful, be faithful, and you'll discover something way richer than you're just slipping into God's presence throughout the day. A friend of mine is one of those people who really at first awkwardly do this, and now it's been such a gift. They would just stop in the middle of conversation. And be, oh, bro, we should just pray for that. I'm like, dude, there's, there's a lot of people around. Like, I'm just, can we keep talking? Yeah, no, 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 just come here, just come here. Come here, oil out of his pocket. Lord, I'm straight up, and this, this in my mind went from Oh, my gosh, too much to, I want that. I want, it's just, it's, I'm in prayer constantly. I'm just aware that God's spirit wants me move. Hey, we should, yeah, let's seek the Lord on that for just a quick second. Instead of starting with 12 hours of prayerful dialogue, single out a few moments. Single out a few minutes. It's like the the idea of mindfulness, actually, in our culture, that's kind of gotten popular, is a helpful way to think about a mental state achieved by focusing your awareness on the present moment, by calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and sensations. Mindfulness is basically comes from the Christian practice of contemplative prayer. It's about being honest with how you're feeling right now, being mindful. I'm anxious about this. I'm happy about this. This is confusing. I'm super bored. I'm actually really hot. Will Andrew stop talking? Are we really going to do worship after this too? Jeez. I love you. Lastly, pray where you are. Stop trying to escape your life thinking God's somewhere else. Every place can be an altar to God, every place. Wesley, John and Charles Wesley, spiritual greats, if you don't know who they are. Susanna Wesley was their mother. She's called the mother of Methodism. She married a pastor and a minister she couldn't get along with uh, at all. They disagreed on everything from money to politics, 19 children, nine of them died in infancy. She buried nine of her children when they were small. Her husband often left her to raise the children alone for long periods of time. One of their children was crippled, and another couldn't walk until he was nearly killed. He couldn't talk, one of them couldn't talk until they were nearly six years old. Uh, she herself was desperately sick most of her life. There's often no food for money, plagued with death, uh, debt. Her husband was once thrown into a debtor's prison because the debt was so high, which doubled their problems. Um, twice their homes were burned to the ground. Famous story once about John Wesley being rescued, almost near-death experience. Uh, They lost everything they owned on two occasions, and it was even assumed that church members did it because they hated their husband's preaching. So much that someone slit their cow's udders so they couldn't have any milk. Someone killed their dog and burned their flax field when she was young. Interesting. Good life. This woman, Susanna... I'm sorry, when she was younger, this woman, Susanna, said to the Lord that for every hour she spent in entertainment, she would give to him in prayer. Now, she's taking care of a house, raising so many kids, made this commitment nearly impossible. She had no time for entertainment, and a life of long hours of prayer just seemed like a fantasy. She worked the garden, she milked the cows, she schooled the children, managed the entire household. By the way, even taught her kids Greek and Latin. So she had to make a deal with God. God that she could only give him two hours in a day for prayer and worship. How did she do that? even that? She said to her children, when the apron is over my head in the kitchen, leave me alone. I'm talking to God. When the apron is on, leave me alone. What a vision. In the middle of a house where children are dying in infancy, she just says, this will be a holy place. She put the apron over her head, she removed her shoes, and it became holy ground. And she just didn't see what came from all of this. Two of the greatest revivalists in all of church history, from under her apron, she prayed them in. John Wesley went on to basically facilitate and save England from a revolution similar to that of the French Revolution. During his lifetime, he preached to almost a million people. His brother was basically like the Hillsong Bethel music of his day. Wrote over 9,000 hymns, many of which we still sing in this church today. Wesley was asked, who had the most influence in your life spiritually? And his reply was his mother. Just pray where you are. Pray where you are. Put the apron on. You have no idea how God can shape you and what God can do through you. How we can use you. Do it consistently and just pray where you are. You have no idea the things that can be released. And then lastly, I, I had to ask this question. What do you think Jesus prayed like? Was he charismatic? Like, what was he like? Well, this verse uh, was brought to my attention. Hebrews chapter 5 During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He wouldn't be stoic. Jesus went in. Fervent cries and tears. Fervent cries and tears. This summer, I'm gonna invite the band up. This summer, it is the heart of our church. The heart of the leaders in our church that we would learn to pray, that we would learn to pray with, like, fervent hearts. This, the, the name of this series, Teach Us to Pray, this is not, this, this wasn't a cute title. The disciples ask Jesus, not, uh, they, they don't ask him about too many things directly. But they, they, pray, they ask Jesus, say, Jesus, we're looking at the way in which you are seeking the Father. And they say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. These are people who knew how to pray. They've been raised in a way of praying. There were elements in their walk and in their life that they've been faithful to God. In, and they say, but Lord, teach us again how to pray. Philip Yancey says this, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then we must learn about prayer. Most of our struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to, and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. Most of our struggles circle around why God doesn't act the way we want Him to, and why don't I act the way God seems to want me to? And prayer is where those meet. Prayer is this intersection. So tonight, today, if there's something in you that is resonating, and maybe you have some disappointment in your spirit, maybe some of those anxiety outcomes hit too close to home. Before God, try maybe just commit this the rest of this summer to, to this to be an experiment to be a person who who just prays what they have, pray as they can, pray what's honest, not just with how they feel like they ought to be honest about what's happening. If it's the girl you always dreamed about and you want them to say yes, just pray it. If it's parking spots, just pray it. Just begin begin somewhere. For those of us who've been walking with God for a long time, please don't think that this message isn't for you. What has God been putting on your heart? Where has there been been a, a sense that God's been inviting you to seek Him for your neighborhood and for neighbors and for your church and for your the leadership in your life and for your spouse and for your family and God's actually you know a lot about what it is to be faithful. You have stories you can look back and point to the beauty of life lived with God. And God right now is asking you, Hey, hey I need you. You have more than you think. You have more than you're accessing. Pray, pray. So wherever you are, whatever you're facing invitations to honesty today it might not all make sense but I, I, I believe God's releasing something in our church and God's going to give us the courage to step into something new and a new space so would you close your eyes if, if you're okay with that if you're comfortable with that if any of this resonates with you I want to ask you to commit to be honest before God to engage this series with all that you have to do a little experiment to close out the summer. Even now, as we're just running a little bit late, I want to ask you, don't, don't run off. I want to take these last five minutes we have together, and if you need to come forward to the front as a sign of just saying, yeah, I want to commit. To the space, maybe there's some things that are burning in your heart that right now you're like, you've been desperately wanting me to stop talking because you just, I need to talk to God. I need to just be honest with Him about some things. Maybe for some of us, there's a renewed call to be a person of prayer, a prophet for this community. In this little moment, if you want to just say yes to this experiment, yes, I'm going to be, I'm going to commit to praying what I can. This isn't for me. This is just a sign of surrender. We just throw your hand up for a minute. Yeah, I'm going to commit. Just being honest before God in a new way, whatever that looks like for you. Will you just throw your hand up right now, just for a moment. Say yes, yes, God. I'm going to be honest with you in a new way this season. All right, get you Put your hands down. We're gonna um, we're gonna pray and sing this really simple song. I love it because it's just this. Repetitive prayer. My heart is an open space for you to come and to have your way. Pull me in closer. Draw me near. Say whatever you want to say. Do whatever you want to do. Draw me in closer, close to your heart. I think from from the skeptic to the saint here today, that is a bold and powerful prayer to pray. If you want to pray from your seat, great. If you want to come forward, like last week, we just want to keep like filling this space up front. There's something about when we move and physically get up. Maybe you want to come and take communion. You want to come and maybe just be prayed for by someone. I would love just to see the, the, those hands that went up. Maybe Maybe this is a moment to come forward and just for no other reason other than to just engage your full body in prayer as we close our time together and as we seek him together as a church.